We want to do that. I know today is tough. Um, for some of you, it's exciting because your dad's still around. And, um, you know, for some of you, it's even greater because you'll, you'll get to spend some time with him or talk to him. For others, you're like me, your dad has passed on. And so today's always kind of a little, kind of a little tough because, um, you know, it brings back a lot of, uh, of memories. Um, for some of you, um, you never got to know your dad. Um, for whatever reason, your dad bailed or your dad maybe passed away at an early age or you were just never really able to, uh, to know him. For some of you, you had a bad experience as a dad. You just had a dad that just wasn't there. And um, that's, that, it's been tough for you, you know. Um, and what I would say to you is, is there's a passage in Scripture that addresses that. It says that, that God is a father to the fatherless. And so a, a, as we head into Father's Day, what, what I wanted to do is I wanted to go to a passage that I thought, I thought I've talked about this before. Last time I talked to this was like over 10 years ago. So I thought, you know what, I, I want to revisit this because this is such a very, very important concept for us to understand as, as dads, as moms, as parents, as grandparents, as, as people here who have an impact on these kids. And so um, I, I, I want to address this because you go, well, I'm not a parent or, you know, I'm not a grandparent or whatever. Um, I, I want you to apply this principle across the board to kids in particular that you have contact with, but in a bigger picture to everyone around you as well. So um, what we're going to be looking at is the Jewish concept of the blessing. Um, there's actually been a book written by Gary Smalley. It's kind of a classic called The Blessing. It goes into a lot of detail on this kind of stuff. But um, I, I want to I address some of the principles um, in, in, in the Old Testament idea of a blessing. So let me give you some background first. Um, there's, a, there's about three main stories in which this is addressed. Um, we, have the, we have the story with um, Jacob and Esau. You remember that? We're actually going to look at, at that passage this morning um, where Isaac goes to bless Jacob and Esau and, 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 and he steals the birthright thing, you know. Remember that story? Um, and then we have the story where Jacob is going to meet Esau after a long period of time for the first time. And uh, the last time Jacob and Esau ran into each other, Jacob, Esau basically said, I see you again, I'm going to kill you. And so then we have, a, we have a period of history, and then Jacob's going to run into Esau again. He's going to meet up with him. And before he does, he wrestles with an angel that night. And um, he basically looks at the angel and says, which happened to be God, and says, I I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Um, and um, so we have that story. And then we have the story of um, uh, Jacob actually blessing coming coming to you and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that's what brought this to mind to, to look at um, we talked about Jacob then blessing his 12 sons and um, particularly in the story of Ephraim and Manasseh um, uh, Joseph's kids and, and and how all of that played out and so we want to look at that concept because it, it's very very important that we understand it here's what will also help us as we understand we also need to understand the Jewish world for a moment um, many of you if, you, you, if you have Jewish friends, one of the things that you have observed about them is their incredible ties to family. And you've noticed that most Jewish families are really tight-knit Jewish family. I mean, there's a respect for the parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, and there is, this, there, is this, there is this bond with the Jewish family. Um, let me help you understand a little bit why, Okay. In a traditional Jewish home, there is a practice that occurs every week. Um, 
the Sabbath or the, the, the Shabbat it, it starts on Friday night. And, and what happens is there's a whole meal thing and there's a whole big celebration every Friday night as the sun goes down and, and they start Sabbath and, and all that. But part of that celebration is the family all gets together uh, before they have that Shabbat meal. And, and, and as they get together, the parents pray a blessing on each kid. If it's a boy in the family, here's what they say. Um, the, boy, the, boy, the blessing to the boy says, may you, um, may you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. That's always part of it. Now, it's interesting because when you look at the whole thing, Jewish scholars debate why Ephraim and Manasseh. There's two ideas. One idea is that Ephraim and Manasseh are the first brothers in the Bible that are mentioned that don't fight. If you've raised two boys or more, you know why you would pray this. Um, you know, may you be like Ephraim and Manasseh, you know, get along. Um, the other idea, which I think is probably a better idea, is that Ephraim and Manasseh were also the first Jewish children that were not born in Israel. They were born in Egypt, but they maintained their Jewishness. They maintained taking a stand for God, even though they were in a foreign country. And that's, that's kind of the idea I like a little bit better, is may each one of their boys be able to stand strong in a culture that's against everything they believe. The girls, the blessing went like this. It said, may you be like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And that's what they prayed over each one of the girls. Now, for both of the kids, uh, both boys and girls, here's what they would say. May God bless you and guard you. May God show his favor and be gracious to you. May God show you kindness, which is said, and grant you peace. So I want you to put this in perspective now, because different families did it different ways, and they did it at different points of the evening. But in some cases, the dad would pray that for each kid. Um, in some cases, um, the, the dad and the mom would pray it together for each kid. In some cases, the dad would pray it for the boys and the mom would pray it for the girls. In some cases, they would rotate. So dad would pray it for one kid and then mom would pray it for another kid and then dad and then mom. And often at the end of it, what they would do is then they would whisper in their ear something encouraging to that kid. So I want you to put that together for a second now. Let's imagine that we were Jewish and that every week, every week, before we eight on, on a night, pick a night. So Friday night, every night, every Friday night, we get together and I come to my son and I say, I, I, I put my hands on, on Jimmy would be the, the oldest. I put my hands on Jimmy and say, may you be like Ephraim and Asa. Uh, may God bless you. And, try, and I'd go through that whole thing. And then I'd say, hey, look, I'd whisper in his ear, hey, thanks for taking care of your mom this week. Josh, may you be like Ephraim and Asa. Boop, 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 boop. Hey, Josh. Thanks for not fighting with your brother this week. Every week we did that. Every week. Let me ask you something. How tight do you think my family would be? Because you see, in a Jewish home, that's standard practice. In a Jewish home, the blessing, or the idea of blessing your kids, your family, is ingrained in the concept of the home. In the Old Testament, when it talks about the blessing, it focuses in on the ultimate blessing, 
which a parent would give as they come to the end of their life, and they would, it's kind of like their last words to their kids. And I don't know if you ever thought about that. If you, could, if, if, if you had five minutes with your kids, you knew you were going to die, you had five minutes with your kids, and you wanted to say something to them, what would you say? That was the blessing, if you will. And so there, there, there was a certain way that it was done. There were certain things that were involved in it, and that's what we want to look at this morning. Because if we can incorporate those into our lives in dealing with our kids, our grandkids, and the kids that we run in contact with, and if we can incorporate it in our lives in the way we treat one another, It'll make a huge change in the way we, um, in the in the way we grow together. So, um, here's the passage, Genesis chapter 27. Uh, here's what it says. Uh, it says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, "My son, here I am." He answered. Isaac said, "I am now an old man." Don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver, your bow. Go out in the open country. Hunt some wild game for me. Prepare for a tasty food I like. Bring it to me and eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. So he looks at his kid and he says, look, I'm about ready to go. Uh, there's one thing I want you to know before I go. There's one blessing. You know, I want to give you like the ultimate blessing kind of thing. And, and, and basically then they would have, there's a whole formality that they went through. You know this story. Jacob comes in covers himself up, makes him look like Esau, steals the blessing. The blessing was irrevocable, couldn't do it. Basically, he has to run and run away from mom and brother and everything else in, in that whole scenario. But the blessing part of it becomes so instrumental in that Jewish household and in the Jewish history that, that, it, that it, it's something for us to understand. The concept, to be able like say, I'm, I'm not saying you go home and say, okay, kids, I'm, I'm going to die Here's my blessing. Um, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's what you do, but what I'm saying, the principles that are incorporated in it are something we can do on a regular basis, not just with our kids, but for all of us. So here's the, here's the first thing you see. One of the things that, that happens when they do the blessing part of it is they touch their kids. Even in a Jewish home, they would often go behind and stand behind the kid and put their, head, their hands on the kid's shoulder as they were seated. It involves meaningful touch appropriate touch but it involves touch we know we know from a medical standpoint the value of touch there's study after study done that have shown that doctors who touch their patients do they've actually done studies where they've had people come in sit down on the edge of a bed and touch a hold a patient's hand while they talk to them and then they've had people come in, sit down on the edge of bed, not touch their hand. And they were there the exact same amount of time. But when they talked to their patients after, the patient said, he spent so much more time with me. Why? Because something is conveyed with touch. Something is conveyed. I, now, look, I cannot stress the importance of meaningful touch. A pat on the back, shaking hands with somebody. A hug, and those of you who know me, I'm not a hugger, okay? I was introduced to hugging, and, and when I say hugging, don't understand. My family, we, we hugged growing up, but we didn't hug, if you know what I mean, okay? And when I, when I met my wife, and she took me home to her house for the first time, I understand hug, okay? Okay, because everybody gets hugged. UPS guy, ah! 
you know, I mean, I, it's just crazy. I walk in the door, and honestly, I didn't know what to do. I walk in the door, you know, and, one, and she, has, she has three sisters. So, you know, whoo, whoo, you know, it's like, oh, man, will this ever end? Um, and those of you who know me know I don't, I'm not a big hugger person, okay? And some of you are. God bless you for it, okay? I'm, I'm not, okay? And, 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 but I raised two huggers, okay? And I got two daughter-in-laws who are huggers. So it's kind of a, you know, I'm just doomed um, for it. You know, it's kind of like God went, ah, I'm going to teach you how to hug one way or the other. Uh, but you know, you know as well as I do. So, so let me tell you something. If, if, if I ever come up to you and put my arm around you or hug you, you know it's, it's it, it, where's Juanita? Where's Juanita? Juanita. Yeah, because Juanita and I are just like, we are not huggers. And when, i never forget, Josh and Alex's wedding, she came, you know, we have that reception line thing, we're standing in line, she came up, and she hugged me and goes, two non-huggers, wow, this is like a God thing, isn't it? And I went, yeah, I guess, I said, it's a wedding, we have to, so let's get it over with. Um, <laughs> but I mean, honestly, you know, it's one of those things where meaningful touch, and listen, listen, the only way our kids are going to learn inappropriate touch from appropriate touch is if they're comfortable with appropriate touch okay and 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 that's that that's important you know and i understand in 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 culture we have to be very careful of this so i I want you to be careful i don't want you to be, be be flippant with this but the idea is we need to pat these kids on the back we need to let these kids know you need to be comfortable with your kids to hug them to kiss them to let them know they are loved in an appropriate way. In a Jewish home, touch is a big part of it. Meaningful, appropriate, realistic touch. There's something that's communicated. Second aspect of it. Uh, Smalley's book deals with five things. I'm going to deal with three and put a bunch underneath the second one. But the other thing is the idea of communication with words. Um. Communication with words. Um, first of all, it has to be spoken. They got to hear it. Oh, my kids know. No, no, no. They got to hear it. They have to know. We have to speak it. Now, this is what's. This is where it's uncomfortable. Some of you grew up in a home where it was not spoken. It's like, hey, you, kid, you should know I love you. I birthed you. You should know I love you. Some of you never heard a mom or a dad say, I love you. And, and I think that's tragic. Now, understand, I'm not going to be too hard on them. Under, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not one of those parent-bashing kind of people. Understand that you know why they didn't do it in most cases? Because that's the way they were raised. They were raised in a generation where you didn't talk about stuff like that. Somebody has to break the cycle or it will continue. And one of the things that you have to do is you have to learn to speak these kinds of words. In the Jewish world, they would speak it every week, and ultimately they would speak it when they gave the blessing to the child. It was something that was spoken. It wasn't understood. It wasn't, I mean, it was probably understood, but it was always spoken to. It, it wasn't just enough to, to know about it. Um, you, you, see it you see it often in Scripture with this idea of your words are powerful. You understand, wars have started over words. You understand that words have the ability to change all kinds of direction. 
And that's why it is so important that we speak to our kids words. And then our kids here, I want you to know, I love you. Listen to me. Some of you, you're 60, 70 years old, 80 years old. There's nothing wrong with you calling your kids and saying, look, you know what? I want, I'm of a generation we didn't do stuff like this, but I want you to know I'm proud of you and I love you. Because I know 50-year-old people who are working like crazy to hear that. Because they've never heard it. They've never heard it. And I don't, you go, well, that would be really, really awkward to do. Let me tell you something. It needs to be spoken. You don't want to go to your grave saying, I wish I would have done this to my kids. I wish I would have told my kids this. You've got the opportunity today to do something about it. Speak those words. Your kids need to know you love them. Your grandkids need to know you love them. And it's got to be spoken. It's got to be spoken. Second idea behind this communication idea is not only does it have to be spoken, but they need to be words of high value. Um, you see this with Jesus a lot. Where, where Jesus, Jesus, you, Jesus chooses his words very, very carefully. And often, here's what you see in the life of Jesus. He uses word pictures. Um, he looks at Peter and he says, you're a rock. Now, think about this for a minute, okay? Uh, let, let's, say, let's say I have a friend who's going through a tough time, and every time they come through stuff, I, I, I watch him handle it well and handle it well, and I come up to him and say, look, I just want you to know. I have watched you, and to me, I see you standing like a rock in this thing where, where no matter what comes at you, you hang in there, and, and, and you just stay solid. You don't move, and it's like a rock, and it's so encouraging to me. Let me tell you how that plays out. The reality of it is, if you know anybody who's been like that, that's not how they feel. And if you know anybody like that, they go through this whole roller coaster kind of thing. And so God needs to use things to encourage them. And what you'll find is, in situations like that, they'll be driving down the road, and they've passed rocks a thousand times. And they start to get depressed, and all of a sudden they'll look at, and they'll see a rock, and God will remind them, you know what? There are people who see you handling this very well. And God will use those word pictures. Solomon uh, talks about his wife. And he says, her eyes are like the eyes of a dove. Now, he also says her neck's like an ivory tower. But, um, I mean, you know, um, <laughs> which I'm thinking, well, that can't be good. Uh, but in that culture, it was a big thing, you know. Um, it was an important thing. Uh, again, it, it's using those word pictures. Jesus does it a lot. It, it throws people off. He goes, I'm the vine, I'm the door, I'm the branch. He, he, he used it to kind of give you a different aspect to it. And, and for our kids, that is so important that we do that. It is so important that we, we choose our words carefully, what we say to kids. It is so important, the language we use around our kids and our grandkids. And you know what? They need to know we're in the corner. They need to know that we love them, and not only that we love them, but they need to know this is what we think about them. This is how we see them, and we need to encourage them along those lines. Look, they get beat up all the time. 
There are enough people telling them how bad they are, what they're not doing right. They need somebody in their corner saying, look, I want you to know this is how I see you. This is, this is what I value. This is what I see God doing in your life. And to encourage them. I, let me just talk for a second here real quick. Be careful about speaking to them about things that change. Okay? Let me give you an example. For my kids, one of the things we tried to do, didn't do it well, but we tried. I tried to encourage character issues, not physical issues. In other words, it's really easy when a girl's a cute little girl. They go, oh, you're so cute. You're our princess. You're our princess. You're our princess. You're our princess. Now, what's she going to grow up thinking? I'm a princess. Here's what's going to happen. What happens when she gets to be junior high? She ain't going to feel like a princess. You know, why? Because you know as well as I do, there's always that junior high awkward stage, whether you're a guy or a girl, there's always that awkward junior high-ish time. And, and you've, you've got this kid who's thinking this way, this way, this way, and they're trying to live up to that standard because you have complimented them on something that's external. Versus on the other hand, when you can encourage, I'm not saying you don't tell them they're pretty or they're beautiful or they look like a prince. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you focus on things like their tender heart or their love for, for other people or their helpfulness or their compassion or their gratefulness. Or you, you focus on those kinds of things because those are character issues that don't change. You know, Those are the things we, we, we want to encourage. Those are the things that we want to promote. Um, the other thing is, is every time that in the Jewish household there was this focus on the future, um, may you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. There was this focus when you look at, when you go further in this passage, he tells, he tells um, Esau all of these things that are going to be promised to him in the future. Here's what you know, here's what you'll learn about kids. Here's what we know about kids. Kids are focused on what? Here and now. In fact, they tell us until the, until the time a kid is in mid-20s, there's, there's actually the, 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 the last part of your brain to develop, physically develop, develops in your middle to late, depending on what you read, mid, mid-20s. And that part of the brain links decisions and long-term consequences. It's the last part of the human brain that gets developed. And it doesn't happen. doesn't happen at 18, doesn't happen at 20. It happens in the mid-20s. Where in the mid-20s, a kid starts to go, oh, that has long-term consequences. Wow, that's going to impact my future. That's why it's so, so important that we do what we can to help our kids to understand. Look, you know, wait till your, wait, wait till your mid-20s before you make that kind of long-term decision. You know, let me tell you something again. Rabbit trail. If you're a tattoo person, fine. That's your thing. Okay, that's your thing. You do your thing. Okay, but if you're under 25, you need to understand there's part of your brain that hasn't figured out what it's going to look like at 70. 
And that cool little star that you put on your face is probably going to affect the jobs you get for the rest of your life. Just saying. Okay? Just saying. I always tell people, before you get a tattoo, go to a nursing home. Ask people to show you their tattoos. Then decide what you want to do. You know? Um, But I understand it's a different culture. It's a different way of thinking. I get it. I don't have any. I don't want any because I don't like needles. Okay? Um, You know? um, I'm just saying. Okay? Why? Because here's what happens, though. This is what happens. A kid's focus is right here. And in the Jewish world, from the time they were little, they heard a blessing talking about their future way down the line. We're in a culture right now where we don't do that. We let these kids just kind of do their own thing and find themselves. And so we've got 30-year-olds who are trying to find themselves because nobody has spoken to them about things that they see in their life for a possible future down the line. My kids will tell you, it drives them nuts. When they bring a friend over or when they were dating, there was always the interrogation that they knew it was going to happen at some point. Okay? And, and they know. They can tell you about this. You know, Alex experienced it. Aaron experienced it. Everyone of their friends experienced it. At some point they say, so, what are you studying in school? They tell me. So what's your plan? And they go, well, my plan is dee, 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 dee. And they know. Here's my next question. Okay, if that doesn't work out, what are you going to do? Well, I don't know. I ain't never thought about it. I'm like, well, you know what? You better have a backup plan. Because it don't always work the way you think it's going to work. Why? Because I'm trying to get a kid to think long term. I'm trying to get a kid to see a future. I'm trying to get a kid to think about um, way down the line. Why? Because you see, as we speak those words, we want to encourage our kids because here's the bottom line. At one day, they will be the ones preaching. They will be the ones leading the service. They will be the ones doing this. So let's get them prepared now. Let's help. Let's encourage them. So if they want to play a piano for Father's Day, I'm their biggest cheerleader. Why? I want them to see a future. I want them to see a future. And it is so important that we do this with our kids. And I see so many kids who kind of go to college kind of lost with no idea. And you go, well, are you saying that a kid kind of ought to know what he's going to do? I'm saying a kid, yeah, kind of ought to know what he's going to do and head in a direction. And, yeah, that could change, and it probably will. But it's a whole lot better than kids who I see get a four-year degree and then go, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I know a kid got a four-year degree, went in a lot of debt to get a four-year degree, and then said, not going to use it. You know what he's doing right now? He's in trade school doing what he loves, and he could have done that at the beginning and saved himself a ton of school debt. He's going, this is what I love. Well, then you should have done that in the first place. You know, but he just kind of went through the process thing. And I see it over and over and over again because he just he had no idea. He just went because he went. they got to see a future. And we've got to be the ones. And for those of you that have little kids, and, you know, even now, you know, I, this, I'm going back and forth with Jimmy and Aaron on this because um, 
I, I know this bugs them. <laughs> and if I bugs, if it bugs them, then I'm just going to write it. Um, you know, I said, you know, I said, I'm hoping my granddaughter's a girly girl. He's like, no, she's not going to be a girly girl. She, you know, Aaron's going, you know, it's a tomboy. And Jimmy's like, I'm not raised on girly girl. And I'm going, oh, she's going to be a princess. <laughs> you know? And they're like, I ain't doing the princess thing. Oh, so when, whenever we're together, I find princess stuff. I'm like, hey, I want to get this for my granddaughter. No, no, no. You know, so um, again, you know, you, you mold. A lot of you go to that verse, train up a child when they, when, and the way they should go when they're old, they're not apart from it. And, and unfortunately, we've abused that verse and we've taken it to say, okay, our kid's like a computer program. And if I program all the right stuff in, then all the right stuff comes out. That's not what that verse means. Here's what that verse means. God designed a ch- every child with a certain bend in a certain direction. Your job as a parent, grandparent, friend is to figure out what that direction is and encourage it and embrace it and to support it. Your job is to, to figure out what that is to be able to help them go in the direction that God's created for them to go, not in the direction you want them to go. And that is so important for us to understand. You know, and many a parent is frustrated because they're trying to send their kid in this direction where the kid's got no interest in that direction. You figure it out. And you figure out what God's uh, at work doing. And you encourage that and support that. And unfortunately, like, you know, like I told Jimmy and Jerry, look, if God's got her designed to be a girly girl, you're going to raise a girly girl. And if she's a tomboy, you're going to raise a tomboy. Your goal is to figure out how God has designed her and created her to be that way. But I'm going to keep picking just because I like to pick. Um, but, you know, along those lines, I mean, it, it, it's so important. It's so important for us to understand that. And the last thing is this. You know, not only do we, not only do we speak the words of, of value and of a future, and, and not only um, do we take that, that, that part of it where, where appropriate touch and, and, and embracing some of those things, the last idea that, that was involved in this thing is there was an active commitment on the part of the parents. In a Jewish home, it was every week. Ultimately, it, it, it comes to a point where, like you say, he meets with his kids and says, this is what I'm going to do. There's an active commitment on that part. Here's, here's my fear. My fear is that we have defined commitment to our kids in our culture in terms of attendance and finances let me explain what i mean my fear is that in our culture we have we have allowed the school system and the the whole extracurricular activity system out there whether it be sports whether it be speech whether it be music whether it be whatever and what we have done as parents is we have said i am going to let them get to know my kids better than I know my kids. I will fund the activities, and I will show up and sit in the stands because I am committed to my kids. That's not commitment. Commitment in the Jewish household involved interaction with your kids. It involved the speaking to your kids. It involved the loving your kids. It involved the touching your kids. It involved a presence with your kids. It involved an involvement with them that went far beyond, I'm going to fund it and show up. I'm not saying you don't show up and support them. I'm not saying you don't fund it. 
But let's understand that's not commitment to our kids. Commitment to our kids is getting to know them. Commitment to our kids is spending time with them one-on-one and figuring out however the best way to do it. And I understand. I raised two teenagers. I get it. How was your day? Fine. So what's going on in your life? Nothing. Anything new? Nope. Great. Thanks for the quality time. Um, I, I get that. I raised two kids. I understand that. Here's the thing. You're smarter than them. They don't think so, but you're smarter than them. So, you just got to figure out a way to catch them off guard. Here's what I found with my kids. With Jimmy, if we were working on cars, I could get his guard down and find out stuff. With Josh, if we were working on stained glass, his guard would come down. And he would be more willing to talk. And I found out more stuff doing that than anything else with them. That was kind of their things. And so we would get to talking, and, and we'd be cutting glass. We'd be working on a car, and I'd be going, you know, hey, you know, what's your favorite class so far, you know? And, and they're, they're the guard's down. They're working on a car. And, and it helped that Jimmy's ADHD, so he couldn't concentrate very long. So I could jump him from subject to subject really quick. You know, um, you know, Josh, it was a little more of a challenge, but, you know, Jimmy, it's like, hey, you know, hey, hand me that wrench, how's school, you know, and it's like, boom, 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 and I can figure it all out, you know. Look, it's that investment, it's that commitment of involving yourself in their life and getting to know them and learning, and, and, and let me say this. That's, by the way, the value of doing church the way we do it. As you encourage the relationship with your kids with other adults in this church. Because there will come a time often with your kids that they won't listen to you. But they will take input from somebody else. And I, we, we've watched that many a time where my kids won't talk to me and I've been able to go to another adult and say, hey, look, can you go talk to them? Because I know they respect them and they listen to them and, and, and it's a team thing and it's, it's working together with it. And, and I want to say that I understand you love your kids and I understand that you're committed to your kids, but I think if we're not careful, we allow somebody else to raise our kids. If they have the same values as you, that's okay. That helps reinforce what you're saying. But if they have different values, that can be devastating. Because... Ultimately, our, we are responsible for, for our kids. And so in the Jewish household, like I say, you saw this commitment level. You saw this, the, the, this communication thing where there were spoken words of high value of a future. And you saw this idea of meaningful touch. And I want to challenge you with the kids that you have in your world to try and embrace some of those things. So my challenge goes something like this. As we end today... The idea is this. God entrusted all of us with the responsibility to raise these kids. He wants us to raise godly children. We've got to learn to encourage, to build up, to strengthen. It's a principle that we can use in every human relationship, not just with our kids. So this week, 
Don't be afraid to hug them. Don't be afraid to speak words of value and of a future to them. And be committed to really try to know them and understand them. Step into their world. Try to understand a little bit of it from their perspective. And you'll be amazed how God will use it to make you, me, and all of us better parents and grandparents. And to have a better impact on all of these little kids. Because let me tell you something. All these little kids running around here, they're going to be ones doing this one day. They are our future. You know, people get nervous. They're like, you know, all these little kids running around. I said, so you want to tell me it's a bad thing for a kid to feel like church is fun and enjoyable and okay? That's what I want. That's what I want for the kids growing up here. And, um, you know, I want them to feel comfortable on this platform because I expect them to be up here one day doing the, the worship and the leading and all of that. You know, as crazy as it sounds, I'd love one of them to take my place one day. You know, how cool would that be um, for one of these kids to be doing this every week? You know, that would be like pastor's ultimate icing on the cake kind of dream thing. You never know. You never know. Let's pray, Lord. You have entrusted us with this incredible thing called a human life. For some of us here, Lord, we're parents. For others, we're grandparents. For others, Lord, they, 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 they may not have children or they may not uh, even be married. And, and, and Lord, for some of them, um, Lord, it's easy for them to not see the impact they can have. And Lord, I, I don't want them to, under, to misunderstand that today. Lord, would you impress upon their heart the, the opportunity to embrace and to adopt and to encourage and to kind of surround themselves and invest their lives in the lives of these kids? Lord, when it is all said and done, may you be honored and glorified. May their lives reflect the principles of your word. And may you allow us, Lord, to be able to step back and watch you use them in great and incredible ways. Thanks for the parents that we have had. And Lord, help us to be better parents than our own parents. For some, Lord, that's an easy standard to fulfill. For others, Lord, that's a high mark. But Lord, may each of us do better in raising our kids to be able to change some of the things, Lord, that, that haven't been healthy. And, and when it's all said and done, Lord, may our kids truly be blessed. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to sing the first verse. <clears throat>